Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Thursday, August 6th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe as we continue to battle the coronavirus pandemic. Coming up today on the podcast was a really great conversation I had earlier today with Max Sass, my old college coach at Wesleyan and a good friend on all things NBA, talking about the action from the bubble, the view experience, the games, uh, teams that have surprised us for good, teams that have surprised us for bad, and just kind of a, you know, even some championship predictions at the end. So disclaimer first, uh, right after we were done taping the news about Ben Simmons's knee injury uh, was reported that he had dislocated his left kneecap uh, during his game on Wednesday night. And so he's out indefinitely. So we wish the best to Ben Simmons and his healthy recovery. So for all the Sixers talk we do on the podcast, uh, obviously the news has changed a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I don't think that changes too much of, of what we talked about. But anyway, that kind of changes their fortunes going forward. Uh, also, we just want to, before uh, we get to the interview today, uh, in case anyone didn't know or didn't see the, the news or the video, there was a major massive explosion in Beirut, the capital city of Lebanon. Uh, it was a massive ammonium nitrate explosion where it has devastated the this whole city. So if you wish to donate or help the people out in, in Lebanon, uh, the New York Times put together a really great... Uh, article that basically just has a lot of resources uh, that you can donate to or support, whether it's food or uh, money, that if you feel so inclined to help out uh, the people of Lebanon, as so far uh, over 130 people have died, I mean, there's more than 4,000, and uh, the blast was so devastating that uh, thousands and thousands of people are now homeless and um buildings are destroyed. It was really, really bad situation. So we're praying for all the people over in Lebanon as well. So without further ado, I'm going to hit the music. And when we come back is my conversation from earlier today with Max Sass. Joining me on the line now is my former college coach at Wesleyan and good friend, Coach Max Sass. He is, I, I, I guess I could call you the unofficial NBA analyst for the double-double. Coach, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. I'm certainly flattered with that title. I, um, you know, I listened to the episode with uh, Coach Cap, and so now I have a lot of pressure on me to perform just as well. Uh, so, so I've been gearing up, ready to go. Yes, Trevor Trevor's a great guy, great great guest and you know, you, when 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 the two of you are in the same room together as as I think you were a couple finals ago, it's uh it's definitely like the meeting of the basketball minds. It's it's definitely a a, a sight to see. Well, I appreciate that. And I have to say I actually had a really great conversation with him uh over the phone this week and um I mean, he, he, he's a rising star. Um, he's obviously a guy I've been very fortunate to have met through you and your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed the podcast. And just anytime I talk hoops with him, uh, I always feel smarter when I leave. 100%. Uh, he, he's really, really bright. I mean, he just gets the game. 100%. So if 
you want to check that out, that's on our on the Double Double stream on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. A little plug there. But, Coach, the NBA is officially back. We didn't know how this would all work the last time we spoke. I think we spoke, was it the middle or end of June when, when the plan was announced? There's been a lot of ups and downs in then. There was a brief chance where we thought Kyrie Irving and some guys were going to basically win out the day in those Zoom calls and players were going to sit out and in support of the social justice movements going on. And that did not happen. The players have been really uh, good at using their platforms. And it's really been amazing to see how many guys are using their times in the press conferences to talk about Breonna Taylor or just all the other killings that have gone on. And then kneeling in the national anthem and shows of solidarity, talk about voting rights. It's been really, really powerful so far. And the basketball has been really, really good so far. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I remember the opening game, what was that, the 30th. Um, you could tell that things were a little bit sloppy. Guys were still working themselves back into shape. But, my God, how quickly do they revert to reminding you that they are the best players in the entire world? 100%. These are the best. And, and also because there's – we could talk about this a little later, but – it's the best 22 teams are down in the bubble. And so usually the best 22 teams no, have Dave, the best 22 right, players. To, yeah, I just have to correct you. It's actually the best 21 team in the okay. Wizards. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very fair right there. But so just just taking a step back before we talk about the actual uh, gameplay itself, this bubble is something that we've never seen before from the NBA because – as with everything in 2020 with the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to make things up on the fly. And the NBA has done a really good job uh, basically making these makeshift NBA quote-unquote arenas because they're not arenas. They're like quasi-arenas, uh, gyms, ballroom-type things at the Worldwide of Sports down in Orlando where there's tons of AAU events there. So they're, they have a lot of basketball resources. And so the court from – Let's just start with the court. The court, from my view on TV, it actually looks really good. I, I agree. I think it looks very good. It looks very professional. Um, you know, part of the authenticity, I'm sure that they have to maintain sponsorship deals. And you can tell that they're swapping out logos really quickly, you know, to make sure that whoever's the home team has their decals on there. You know, the Bucks play, and it's not just that they have the deer head on the court. Yeah. They have, you know, Fiserv Forum uh, on the, you know, hash marks as well. So I think they did a really good job with their attention to detail there. Um, it certainly doesn't feel... Not that there's anything wrong with an AAU tournament, but it, it, it feels like an NBA-level court. It doesn't feel like you're at an AAU tournament right. where there's a thousand things going on. you got a pretzel vendor in you know, yeah. your, your pocket and you know things like that. 100%. And, and one of the really interesting things, too, is because there's very limited media allowed down in the bubble, there aren't any photographers on the baseline or any courtside seats on the baseline. So a lot of people have made... Uh, a point about this is that there's more room on the baseline for guys to drive uh, when they're driving baseline to jump out of bounds and throw passes or maybe even drive a little harder to the rim because they don't have to worry about falling and crashing down and hurting themselves or hurting a, a photographer. Just just as a coach, when when you see all that space, just like how much does that really affect 
just what guards and these guys who are really attacking the rim can do in in this half court or transition offense? Um, you know, I, I think that's an interesting theory that, to be perfectly honest, I, I had not put much thought into. Um, you know, I, I would like to think as a coach, as a fan, um, as a lover of the game, that these guys are able to play the game equally hard, regardless of whether you have a photographer and a cameraman under the basket or you don't. Um, you know, certainly every once in a while you get these fluke injuries where, where guys, you know, land awkwardly on their ankle trying to avoid a yeah. camera person, things like that. Or, you know, Dennis Rodman gets pissed and hit <laughs> kicks the camera guy. Right. But, um, you know, I think those are more the exception than the rule. Um, I don't know if that makes a huge difference um, as much as just – I do think there's a certain vanity to playing in the NBA. And um, and I'm sure we'll talk about the fans on the, the mm-hmm. board virtually. But when you don't have that media and all those fans and that presence there, um, I, I do think it, it makes it a little bit harder uh, to get your ego revved up perfectly yeah. frankly. Interesting. Yeah, because you really have to build your own adrenaline and your own energy. And we've seen that the benches have done a really good job with that. And with the layout of the court, it's almost like a Euro League or a European style bench where they have kind of yes. like a barrier and then socially distanced chairs and the coaches. It's it's interesting because they're coming out when, when, when they go to uh, ch- when the guys check into a game. It isn't like, you know, the Lakers are playing. It's not like, you know, LeBron's walking past Jack. Nicholson, he's just you know he's just walking to to the bench. What do you think of the virtual fans? I like the virtual fans. I think it's cool um, that they get a chance to be really creative. I really like that the Thunder, for example, put Chris Paul's wife and his kid yeah up, up on there. I think it you know again I think it benefits the creative teams mm-hmm. um, and, and it sort of not leaves in the dust the other teams, but. Um, I think it's cool. I think it just sort of, I, I think it was a smart idea to say, okay, we're not going to be able to really create a home court advantage necessarily, but what can we do to make it sort of feel more homey? Yeah. And again, if you're the Thunder, it, it, I think it just feels a little bit better that every time, you know, Steven Adams dunks, you get a Steven Adams logo on the, the Jumbotron. Yeah. And, and you're not necessarily getting that if you're the visiting team. So I, I think it's a small thing, but I think it's a good gesture. Um, you know, the Pacers did a really creative thing. They put the, the female fan from the last dance yeah. um, up on their screen. Again, like I, I think if you are creative enough, it's 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 a real it's something you can take advantage of to stand out with. And what the NBA did really well was that they figured out they had some trial and error, but the faces aren't too big. Like some of the cardboard cutouts for baseball, it's it, it can be a little too big, uh, yes. <laughs> and and then there's also uh, like with MLS, there'd be times where they didn't have maybe enough people. Just be like, there was a great clip of there was just like one giant. There's just one fan whose body and face was on the jumbotron behind one of the goals, looking like a movie villain. Uh, but other than that, uh, but other than that, I got the link. To, to try to log on to this past Tuesday's Heat Celtics game. And while I got bumped out because, you know, as a New York guy who didn't know any of this, I don't have any Celtics or Miami Heat gear. Uh, it was a pretty, it, it was pretty cool and a pretty, you know, fun experience to be like locking on. Like you're in like the, 
the Microsoft Teams thing. It's like you can kind of see the layup lines and all the other fans. It was it was definitely cool. Oh, that's sick. That is really cool. So they are the cameras on you live and you're reacting live. Is that how it works for those fans? Yeah. So it's like a Zoom call, but on, but they use Microsoft Teams because, as you said, the the sponsorship agreement. Right. So your camera's on and either you're muted or uh, your your sound is on, but basically they just like are recording whatever you choose to have on the Zoom call, and then they put you into like a a seat. You know, they they say like seat whatever, and then you're on the screen. So like that's like the other side of the Zoom call, and there's moderators, there's moderators and stuff. But so uh, that that that's interesting because if I'm not mistaken, the way the MLS was doing it was you sort of just filmed yourself in like a 10 or 15 second snippet of yourself in your team jersey cheering. Yeah. And they would, you know, randomly alternate those. <laughs> but the problem became that, you know, if you're a New York Red Bulls fan and you had filmed yourself cheering, yeah. you could get caught on the big screen when your team just got scored on. You know, so yeah. um, I, I think the NBA having a little bit more time than the MLS to make it work uh that's a great system i think that's really really cool and i have another idea for for the nba because obviously with no fans talk about virtual fans there the the noise on the court you can really hear all the players the coaches the referees all the communicating all the talking the premier league did this for uh their games in england was that on nbc or like the tv games they would pump in fake crowd noise but if you watched online it would be you know, the quote unquote pure uh, stadium sound where there'd be no pumped in noise and you could really hear like the, the live action. I think the NBA should do that. And if you want to sh- have, have the, the normal TV viewing uh, with like the sound noise and the arena music and stuff pumped in, but to stream online so that you can hear like all the pick and roll coverages, hear what Chris Paul is really saying, hear, you know, what guys really say to referees. Like, I think that would be just an incredible way to view NBA basketball. Yeah, that'd be really cool. And even if maybe you only put it under leak pass, yeah. you know, for paying members, because I, I, it's funny, I was actually looking for that on leak pass the other night. Mm-hmm. And I was watching, I want to say it was Spurs versus Blazers, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, when you go to League Pass and you click the game, it gives you a couple options. And, um, you know, home announcers, visiting announcers, and then it had Spanish. And I was expecting that there might be, uh, you know, uh, an enhanced audio, something like yeah. that. And the fourth option was influencer view. <laughs> uh, so I, as someone who's not an influencer, yeah, uh, I wasn't really sure what it was and i was a little bit afraid to click on it so uh maybe one of your our more adventurous listeners can let us know Mm -hmm. um because i i I veered away from that also like even if you have to have a terms and condition like you're over 18 because there will be explicit language and stuff like one of those disclaimers on it i think it'll be really cool and 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 like you can even if it's on a 30 second delay or something so that play calls and stuff are edited are edited out so that you know scouts for opposing team can't can't use it uh i think that would be really cool but my next question for you is these games the way they're structured because it's basically they have to play all these eight restart games in a two-week period for the playoffs because they're racing against the clock to start next season on time the games are kind of like an NCAA tournament style. They're all day, basically starting in the early afternoon around 1 or 2 o'clock and going to 9 or 10 at night. 
This is great for me personally and people my age who are unemployed, waiting for school. Like, like I'm waiting for grad school to start uh, the end of August. Like, it's great. You know, I, I have my you know uh, classes I'm doing this, this summer, but it's literally like you know I can watch all the games just because I don't have a job. But for someone like you who's an adult with you know things to do uh, during the day. Is it a little, you know, is is it a little weird or, or kind of annoying to have th- this these games on all day? I, I definitely wouldn't say it's annoying as okay. a basketball fan and a basketball coach, but um, yeah, occasionally there there are moments where I'm sitting there going, "Darn, I wish I could put my full attention on this game or watch yeah. this game," and because I have to be on a call or in a meeting, and um, you know, the fortunate thing about being a basketball coach is that. Um, you know, having basketball on in the background is a, is an acceptable thing. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, for me, for example, I'm able to get a lot of different work done. I'll be making recruiting calls or whatever it is, and I'll just have a, a game on mute in the yeah. background. Um, and hey, sometimes it can even contribute. I can say, "Oh my God, you see what Zion just did?" Yeah. Um, and, and it builds some credibility there, but. Yeah, you know, I think the only saving grace of not being able to watch all day every day is that it doesn't have the desperation and one-and-done factor of the NCAA tournament. 100%, yep. Totally um, agree. So while you still, still certainly have your upsets, I know off-air we were just talking about the Nets beating the Bucks and things like that. So you definitely still have some shocking upsets, but um, it doesn't feel that same, um, you know, do-or-die mode, if, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I, I agree with you. And it's, as I said, it's great for me, but, but you're right. It's it's more like kind of fun to have these games on. It, it feels more West Coast. Like, wait a second, there's a really good game yes. on at 3.30 in the afternoon. We're, we're used to on the East Coast, that game's starting basically at 8.45 at night and ending around 11 or 11.30. You know what it almost feels like, David? And, and we were just, again, talking about this before we started. Today's Thursday. And we were talking about how there's games at one, four, six, eight, ten, whatever yeah. you know, whatever crazy. It almost feels like it's a Sunday in NFL season. Yes, and you have your one o'clock game, then you catch the end of you know the other one o'clock game that ended later. Then you watch your four o'clock game, and then you get your Sunday night game, and mm-hmm. maybe this is after you watch college all day the day before. So. That, that's sort of what it, it almost feels like to me in a, in a way. Um, that's the closest thing to it. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. So moving to, to the actual action on the court. Dave, actually, I want to get your opinion on something yeah, sure. before, before we move past the experience. I, I want to get your opinion on the announcers because I, I have an opinion on that as well. So my opinion on the announcers is – they sent the A teams, which is for ESPN. They have Mike Breen, Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy. They have, I think it's Ryan Rucco who's down there, and uh, and Mark Jones and Doris Burke doing those games for TNT. I like Kevin Harlan. It's it's kind of nice to have his crazy high energy uh, for different plays when there's no one there because it kind of makes it feel more like an an, yes. an arena. I think Stan Van Gundy, this is the first time I've really heard him call games. I think he's good so far, but but he's figuring it out. Like calling NBA games as an analyst is really hard. Like not many guys can do it. But his insights are, are pretty good. And Doris Burke's dunk on her ex husband was just <laughs> incredible a couple nights ago. 
Yeah, DB is a legend. Um, you know, I just think it's interesting. I think it, 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 and I, and this is more so just comparing it to other sports. So, for mm-hmm. example, as you're watching, if, uh, I, I like the Mets. I know you like the Yankees. If your team in baseball is away, I believe they're doing a lot of the games remote, right? And I, I think they go. Oh, do they? I totally I think so. Miss that. Well, I, I just feel like the announcers not being where they normally sit, not having the normal setup and things. Just, and I think these guys are doing, and guys and women, excuse me, if don't no disrespect to Doris Burke, um, are doing an absolutely unbelievable job. I think it just shows you how valuable the play-by-play and a- analysts are for yeah. this game because they just give you something so much different than you get without them. Uh, for yeah. example, I'm watching a lot of MLS soccer, and they're calling those games from you know, Bristol. Bristol. It's on ESPN. And, you know, when they don't have a different view or access than you have, you know, it, you can tell they're struggling. For sure. And I think when they take these announcers and play-by-play folks and put them in different spots and change up their routines, it's just not 100% the same. And so I have to say, considering the circumstances, they've been doing a tremendous job, in my opinion, in the NBA. I, I agree with that. And I think we'll, we'll start to see socially distanced sideline interviews and end-of-game interviews as well because – just the fact that now these uh, sideline reporters, men and women, whether it's Rachel Nichols or Chris Haynes, for instance, are usually just naturally they're a lot shorter than the superstar NBA players. And at the end of an NBA game, those guys are super sweaty and they must smell bad. And now instead of them standing right in their armpit, you know, chest area where that's a lot of sweat is dripping off them now being six feet away, I would bet that they are maybe enjoying being a little bit further away from uh, from the people who they're interviewing and not have to like you know strain their neck all the way up to uh, interview uh, Nikola Jokic who's seven one. You don't have to be an epidemiologist to uh, think that they might not want to have sweat dripped on them. <laughs> exactly. So moving on to just what the games are like, just kind of what's impressed you uh, the most because for me. It's the competitiveness of the games because I initially thought a lot of these teams that were already in the playoffs would use these eight games as a ramp up, as just a get guys in shape, exercise, make sure everyone's healthy, try to find a rhythm. And that's not the case. Guys are playing really, really hard because they're playing competitive teams. And it feels like there's something at stake, not just for the teams who are competing for the eighth spot, but it feels like, especially in the Western Conference and the, the, like the whole West and really like the top of the East, Teams really care, even though there's no home court, they care about their seating position. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I have to say, I've been really impressed by it as well. And I was watching the, um, I had the Jazz Grizzlies game on in the background yesterday at, you know, whatever it was, three o'clock. And when I, when I finished work and I turned it on, you know, full volume, I, I was trying to kind of figure it out because... Right, with the Jazz, it shouldn't really matter where you end up. There is no home court advantage. You're not yeah. traveling. You're not in Utah. Um, whereas the Grizzlies, you'd assume we're playing with this crazy desperation. I'm sure we'll talk with the Grizzlies later mm-hmm. with Jaron Jackson's unfortunate injury. But, you know, the Grizzlies, you'd think, would be playing with this crazy desperation, trying to make sure that they maintain the eighth seed, um, all that stuff. But 
I have to say, like, I was just impressed by the way the Jazz competed, and um, both teams were playing really hard. Um, and uh, part of me wonders if maybe even if home court advantage doesn't necessarily matter, if teams are sort of jockeying for matchups. Yeah. Uh, in a sense, you know, you want to avoid whoever's the three seed, so you want to get up to the five instead of the six or, or, or whatever it is. Um, and I do think that has yielded some really good results. I also think these guys are smart enough to know that um, you have to play hard to play yourself into full shape, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that the coaches and the executives are smart enough to know that this is a wonky year and a wonky setting. And, you know, you could end up with someone who's not that good or hasn't been that good all season winning the title because it's sort of a fluky, uh, I'll use the word again, wonky set. And it could frankly just be determined by the team that plays harder. And, you know, that's not always the the case in the NBA. For sure. So so I wonder if if there's sort of a little bit more of like a, well, you know, if you're mm. the Trailblazers and you're Dame Lillard, right? And I know you have confidence that you can, you're the best player in the NBA in your mind, all that stuff. But if you're the Blazers and you're Terry Stotts and Dame Lillard, aren't you kind of sitting there going, you know, we could just get really hot and, you know, hope we're in better shape than everyone else or, or whatever it is. Like, Yeah, that's an interesting point. And, and I also think there's a psychological factor, too, because – all the teams are staying in the same three hotels now and they're seeing each other in a way of like an AAU or a basketball camp environment where, you know, I read a story about the Lakers and the Raptors were playing each other that the the night that they did. And, oh, yeah. and the the Lakers had breakfast first at the restaurant and they crossed paths with each other on the little walkway to the restaurant where the Raptors were going to get breakfast, the Lakers were leaving. It's like kind of awkward. I think also just the psychological thing to make the NBA, you have to be so ultra, ultra competitive. I just, I think it's also just for a little bragging rights too within the hotel environment. Like these guys don't want to lose anything. And it's also like, it's not like they go home and they get away from it. It's like they got to go cross paths with the guy who just hit a game winning shot in their face or drop 20 on them. Like, I think that kind of affects it too. Yeah, I, I wonder if there's also a little bit more of a magnifying glass on these guys on social media because there's so little else going on. Yeah, for sure. Can and you like you know, JJ Redick and shotgun a beer in a ice bath <laughs> became a social media challenge in the NBA bubble just because guys were bored. Like, uh, so I think you're right. Just because there's so much attention on them that they want to put on a good show, they like. They want to, because they know a lot more people are watching, they want to show and prove like, hey, I'm the best guy. No, I'm the best. Like Devin Booker, we're going to talk about Phoenix. He's played really well because he wants to show out. But before we get but before we get to that, the other thing I want to mention is, I don't know how this will play out. There's more of a call to action for whether it's Ben Falk at his website, Clean the Glass, or Kevin Arnovitz or Kevin Pelton at, at ESPN, someone who's really good with the analytical stuff. The shooting numbers have been weirdly good for teams off this four-month layoff. And I think it's because it's this quasi-gym environment instead of a true arena and no road games. And so the depth perception is better in this gym. And no road games, it always feels like, I don't know the exact stats, but it always feels like guys shoot worse on the road than they do at home. 
especially role role players. And so I think that could be an impact going forward because that's what's impressed me too. It's just that the shooting has been really good, except for that one New Orleans game where they lost by like 40 to the Pelicans. Or sorry, when, <laughs> when the Pelicans lost by 40 to the Clippers. The shooting has been really, really good. I have. I don't know if this is going to get your conspiracy theory alarm going off. I think the NBA uh, like really soft rims. Like I think they went out of their way to just like really, really loosen the rims, make really soft. In, in all seriousness, like it sounds crazy, but I think they were nervous about how yeah. raw and kind of working back everybody was going to be coming off this. I mean. You heard stories about guys like Giannis who live in an apartment and didn't have access to a hoop, right? And, though, and though, the though he claimed that was false intel to you uh, know okay. get get past okay. his uh, to get past his uh, you know quote unquote rivals who may have thought that he couldn't be able to play. But also, it's like Giannis, by all accounts, didn't have a hoop. Like that doesn't seem like a thing he would lie about either. Like it's, it right. felt weird. Right. So, but my point being, I, I think the NBA. It really said to their game day crew, hey, like, we can't have, we got to have more shots going in. We got to soften these rims up, loosen them up a little bit. Um, you know, I think they were worried about having games that ended, you know, 85 75, and then instead you end up with the Rockets and the Mavericks having that score at halftime. So, yeah. um, I think they were worried about the quality of offense and, and, and shooting percentages. So, that's my theory. Interesting. It's kind of like the the juiced baseballs theory in baseball. You know, more scoring, more more homers, more more made threes, and jump up the and juice up the scores because that Rockets Mavericks game was incredible. Just the offense and the scoring from Doncic, Porzingis, Westbrook, Harden that was incredible. But speaking of of of, of some teams now, there's 22 in the bubble. You made a great joke earlier. There's really 21 NBA teams, but let's just say of of the 22. What are some? What are a few of the teams that have surprised you for the good that that have been better than what you have expected? Hey, number one for me, with a bullet, uh, has to be the Phoenix Suns. Um, since the restart, they're three and zero. They uh, they they'll play today uh, as we're recording against the Pacers, but they they beat the Wizards comfortably then they beat the Mavericks and the Clippers back to back and I know we made a joke about the the Wizards but beating the Mavericks and the Clippers specifically has mm. been really really impressive um they've pulled to um within a game and a half of ninth which again ninth is what you need to reach to make that sort of playoff spot yeah uh they've pulled to within two and a half of the eighth seed um, I don't know if they're going to be able to jump Pelicans, Spurs, Blazers all to get to that spot, but I mean, the way they're playing has been unbelievable. Um, Devin Booker, my God, has probably been the MVP of the restart. I think he's averaging about 31 um, with my rough math. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he Since the restart, he scored uh, 27 against the Wizards, 30 against the Mavs, and 35 against the Clippers. Um, I mean, in the Clippers game, he also had eight assists uh, and shot six of nine from three. I mean, he might be the MVP of this first three-game restart, um, and he's been spurring 
no pun intended, the Suns, yeah. uh, potentially pass the Spurs. Um, and and if they have a chance, I mean, it's because of him. And so they're my surprise. I expected them to sort of come out, you know, mess around, not mess around a little bit, but, you know, maybe you beat the Wizards, but then you get smacked around by the Mavs and the Clippers and you go back to where you came from, uh, that sort of thing. But they have shocked me. Yeah, I was very guilty of being one of those people who was saying, why are Phoenix invited to the bubble? Why are they even here? And they've proven me wrong. Devin Booker playing in his most important NBA games of his career has really stepped up to a whole new level. Like you said, he's scoring really well. And that turnaround, game-winning mid-range jumper he hit over Kawhi and Paul George to beat the Clippers was incredibly impressive. As you were saying, I don't know if the Suns just have enough games uh, to make the playoffs, given that they only have four more games and they're still, as you said, a game and a half behind the nine spot, even though some other teams are trending up and down ahead of them. I think this really lays the groundwork well for next season because Booker's playing awesome. DeAndre Ayton has expanded his game and he's looking better. He's hitting some threes now, which is really interesting going forward. If if, if he can just be average from from out there catch and shoot he can he's was the number one pick in 2018 he can do a lot of things mccall bridges has played really really good perimeter defense he's a guy they traded up for also in the 2018 draft they picked him from villanova he's been really good they they're they're starting to get these pieces where it kind of feels like they may be trending in the right direction ricky rubio is a good point guard for them he he will help them aaron baines is a good great nba player uh, they're trending in the right direction that they may, this may be a way to catapult themselves into with some positive momentum getting ready for the 2020-2021 season where they may surprise some teams and really compete for that 7 or 8 seed in, in the West. So I tend to agree with you, but I also have a certain hesitancy to me. And, not, and again, forgive making another cross-court yeah. comparison, but... You see this all the time in college football, right? A team comes out gangbusters in their bowl game, and, and then all of a sudden, the thing about Texas, right? And and Texas always wins the bowl game, and everyone goes, Texas is back. They just beat Georgia in this big bowl game. They're ranked number eight preseason, and then they're, you know, they're average. Yeah. So I guess my question is, does this, uh, assuming Phoenix ends up not making the playoffs, which, again, I don't think they're going to be able to, is this hot run a phase or is it actually indicative of what they can do? Um, you know, or is it more likely not to be cynical, you know, a Texas bowl game situation where everyone feels great and then they come back to earth when things are normal next year. I think that's a really interesting point. I think if they, obviously if they don't make the playoffs, they are in the lottery where they, I think all the odds have changed and basically it's pretty even that, it would be at the back end of the lottery, but they would have another chance to, uh, even though this draft class isn't great in terms of top-end talent, it seems like so far there's there's a lot of guys who may be able to come in and be role complementary players. Uh, if they can hit right on another draft pick, it's a little too early to tell for me, but Cam Johnson has been has has played pretty decently this, this season. If, if they can hit on another one of these draft picks or maybe even move up for someone like a Denny Avida or and Obi Toppin or, or just one of those guys and they can, I, I don't know. You're, you're right that this may be just a four game blip that any NBA team can play well for, for four games. But 
I don't know. Booker's coming com- coming into his own. I the the eight developments that they, they have these young pieces. I think they're just one or two players away. Not you know I'm not saying that they're anywhere close to a title contender yet, but I think they're one or two maybe roll pieces away. Maybe a smart free agent signing away from being a true playoff contender and not this basement dweller they've been for the last seemingly since Steve Nash right. left. I, I would love the Suns to be good, and actually, you know what they you know what they need. You know, it would be a really good move for them. Who? They should look into hiring the head coach of the Slovenian national team and then drafting the best <laughs> Slovenian player to come into the league maybe ever. Oh, you mean they chose not to do that and, and let Luka Doncic go? Oh, that's silly. That would have made them really good. Yeah, it's it's hard to defend their uh, mishaps the last two or three years between, as you said, the hiring the Slovenian national coach and then taking Eaton, who's a Phoenix uh, native, and taking him over Luka Doncic, which if paired with him and Booker, now you're really talking. You can't really get past the TJ Warren trade. You just have to say that was bad. You know, you, like trading, attaching a second round pick and TJ Warren to Indiana for basically cash. Like, there's just no excuse for that. Uh, but what, but what they have to do, and I heard Zach Lowe talk about this, is just you just have to focus on the next guy. And if they hit on another pick, like. Look, missing out on Luka Doncic is a franchise-altering bad move. The Kings made a very similar bad decision. And what you just got to do is, just, like, I just feel like they just have to move on and just find a way to try to compete with this roster. Because if they can't, you got to trade Booker or someone and just completely rebuild and try to reload again and just go through the whole tanking process again. Yeah, and again, not to go back, but I, I think... Booker has been unbelievable. He's probably, I mean, I haven't even thought about it, but he's, in my mind, almost definitely one of the top 20 players in the league. And, you know, if he continues his development, is sort of on the precipice into breaking into the top 15 or 12, which is where you're starting to talk about a guy who can be the best player on a championship team. Um, and I really do feel that strongly about Devin Booker. I think mm-hmm. he can be absolutely um, that guy, but you got to put the right guys around him. And, um, you're right. You're right. You and Zach Lowe are both right. No, no, no. You got to look forward. You got to look forward. It's just, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's the low hanging fruit. Yes. But you know, coach, we've spending too much time on Phoenix as much as I would love to talk for hours about okay. Devin Booker too much time. So on, on a team that's going to come in 11th in the Western conference, I want to talk about Toronto, Toronto. I has surprised me a lot during this, their, their first four games, one, they're an ex- an exceptional defensive team before the shutdown. I personally thought that it would take a little time for them to get back to that level. Just just from what you know and, and kind of what I know, it's just the little nuances of defense, of making that extra rotation, all the little things, the stunts, the helps, the doubles, all just that that level of communication after four months off. I thought it'd just be a tad off in these in this early games, and it would just keep improving as the games goes on. Not the case. They are beyond elite defensively. They dominated the Miami Heat. They dominated the Los Angeles Lakers on the defensive end of the floor. And I personally think that Nick Nurse might be the best in-game coach that we have in the NBA. It's hard to argue. I mean, there's some really, really good ones, right? Budenholzer. Certainly Brad Stevens, Spolstra. I mean, you can just go through the mm-hmm. list. There's some really, really good coaches. But, my God, Nick Nurse has been as good as anyone 
um, over the past, I guess, well, year, year yeah. and a half. <laughs> um, what I think too that that separates him away from those from from those coaches is Nick Nurse has exceptional on ball and team defensive guys in Kyle Lowry, who leads the NBA in charges taken Marcus Saul, who is just an incredible force on the defensive end. Still Pascal Siakam and OG and, you know, we can guard anyone on the perimeter, Norman Powell, who works really hard. What he does, I think separates from those other coaches is I don't know if Brad Stevens or a, uh, you know, uh, uh, Brad Stevens or, or an Eric Spolster or someone would have the audacity to, in the middle of a game, say, "Hey, we're going to box in one." Just, just, just the or things. We're full court press. Yeah, just the things that he does in games. I don't know if he's the best coach of the NBA overall, actually, no stuff, but just what he's able to do in game, especially defensively, is unbelievable. I agree, and actually, the Raptors are positioned pretty well. I mean, dating back to before. The restart. They've now won seven in a row, mm-hmm. which is, I believe, the longest current streak in the NBA. It is, um, and they are four and a half games back of the Bucks, meaning they're not going to be able to catch them for the one seed. Mm-hmm. But you know, they're either going to end up in the first round playing Brooklyn or Orlando. Orlando's a half game back of Brooklyn for the seven seed. Um, I'm not really sure who you'd rather have in that position. I mean, I, I think it's sort of irrelevant. I'd yeah. probably rather. Lando, but again, maybe that's just because the Nets beat the the Raptors. Uh, excuse me, the Bucks the other day. The one thing that does make me nervous about the Raptors is just the 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 second round is where it gets tough. Right, yeah. right now as it sits, the Bucks are sitting pretty. They in the second round they would play the winner of the Heat or the Pacers, who are good. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but I'd much rather face one of those teams than the winner of. Celtic Sixers yeah. uh, per- personally and so that's where I think in this and I'll use the word again in this wonky restart um, no matter how good the Raptors have been in a weird shortened situation you know you want to kind of sort of just push the better teams off as long as possible and the way that the Sixers have fallen so deeply um, I think just potentially scares me yeah I want to talk about the yeah I having said that, the Raptors are also good enough that they could just blitz through and win the East, you know, and I wouldn't blink. Yeah, they are the defending champions for a reason. They can guard, they can score, they just find ways to win. Kyle Lowry and, and Fred Van Vliet are not your traditional backcourt in any sense of it because they're not really that big, not really that fast, not going to dunk on anyone, but they are just really, really good. They make winning plays. And they're just fun to watch. But Toronto, as you said, I just think that defensively they can do just enough. And they have the guys on the wings to match up with Boston's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward. And they, I don't know if Pascal Siakam and OG and Yanobi can guard Giannis. But they, have a, but they at least have enough bodies to put on him to just change up the coverages. And... I just think Nick Nurse is going to bring something out in that in that potential series because he doesn't have Kawhi Leonard in his back pocket this year to just be like, you know, what if they just boxed and won instead of Steph Curry? What if they boxed and won Giannis? Like, I think that would be incredible. It might be a little tough with Milwaukee shooting, but like, I think that would be incredible. But moving on before we change to teams that, to, to, to another uh, topic, I want to quickly hit on Houston, 
who has been just incredible so far in this restart. The shooting thing we talked about, I think, directly benefits them. And I think more so, they just really know who they are. They play this weird, I'll use your word, wonky style of basically five smalls. But what it does, it spreads the whole court for Russell Westbrook to get downhill and attack and create for himself and for others, usually going up against a four or five man. It's incredible to watch Rush, R- Russ being unleashed in this way. And even though they get out-rebounded like a varsity team playing a middle school team, they somehow play really good defense and are able to rebound when it matters at the end of the fourth quarter. They like hang around, hang around, hang around, but then they have so much firepower on offense, they just step it up just enough defensively that they're able to steal a lot of these games. It's crazy to watch. And Portland. Be quick on Portland. Me? Yeah. I mean... If you want to be quick on Portland, it starts and ends with Dame Lillard. I mean, yeah. the guy's just an absolute high-level competitor, and I think he and Luca are both are tied for the NBA lead in assists per game since the restart with, like, over 11. I mean, he's just made everyone around him better. Having Nurkic back is obviously a huge help. Yeah. Skinny Mello has been good. but Shocking. It, it starts and ends with Dame Lillard. I mean, just... Yeah. But... So moving on to some teams who have been exactly kind of what we've expected them to be. I'll start with this one, the Lakers. The Lakers have been kind of exactly what I expected. Some people will say that they're surprising because they're losing games and they're not really com- they're, they're not as dominant as they were in the regular season. But they don't have Avery Bradley, who opted out to spend time with his uh, family. Rajon Rondo hurt his thumb. I believe he broke his thumb uh, in one of the early practices. So he's out. And they're just figuring out who's going to take those minutes, whether it's Alex Caruso, J.R. Smith, Deion Waiters. Kyle Kuzma's played pretty well with a lot of confidence on the offensive side of the ball, shooting well. He's provided some pretty decent defense. They're still a championship contender, but this is kind of what I expected them to be. LeBron's ramping up. Davis is ramping up. They're just getting healthy. They clinched the one seed. They're just trying to figure out their rotations and just to try to be just as ready as possible for a playoff run. I'm not worried at all about the Lakers. This is kind of what I expected from them. Interesting. I I actually, you know, I can see that. I did think that they would be a little bit better, um, a little bit sharper. Um, The team for me that's been what I thought they would be is the Sixers. Yep, Uh, I agree. I I think that they're they're 2-1 since the restart, but... um, I mean, again, I know I keep bringing up teams that played the Wizards recently, um, but they comfortably beat the Wizards. Um, they beat the Spurs in a really high-scoring game. They lost a relatively tight one to the Pacers in their first game back since the restart, but I think they showed. I actually watched that game against the Spurs. Um, you know, you, you could tell that Embiid really wanted the ball in the last two, three minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was good to see that drive back and that dominance back. Um, and I, I actually, I don't know if we're having a hot take section. I actually think yeah. they're going to beat the Celtics in the wow. first round of the playoffs. Or what I actually think is more realistic to happen is I actually think they end up overtaking the Pacers, who have been really, really good. But uh-huh. I think they end up getting up to the five seed, and I think they'll end up beating um, the Heat in the first round of the playoffs. I think the, I'm saying the Sixers are going to win at least one round, even though they're um, probably not the, the favorite based on their seating. I think that they have one, two, three, four, five games left in the bubble, including some challenging ones, Blazers, Raptors, Rockets. But, um, you know, they play the Magic tomorrow. 
Um, the Suns on Tuesday. I, I guess nothing's automatic, but I, I think the Sixers have been what I thought they would be, uh, especially in their most recent two games, and I think they're going to continue to be on the ascendance. Yeah. The, the last thing I'll say quickly about the Lakers is also the guys who they're trying to fill in those Avery Bradley and Rondo minutes. J.R. Smith hasn't played all season, and Dion yeah. Waiters basically hasn't played all season either after basically getting kicked off of Miami after basically <laughs> ODing on gummies on a team flight. So, like, those guys, they haven't played all year, so it's natural. It's a little slow. They're picking up, but I'm not worried about the Lakers. Philly, it's interesting you're so high on them because they've had a weird season starting from, you know, everyone loves to – it basically goes back to last May – uh, Kawhi Leonard shot infamously hits four times off the rim, goes in. Everyone really thinks that the Sixers would have won that game in overtime. I'm not certain about that. They easily could have lost in overtime, you know? And But so ever since then, they let go of Jimmy Butler, who's now in Miami. They signed Al Horford to a max extension. I talked about this with Jerome Weitzman from Bleach Report last week, which was it seemed like they signed Al Horford the way that the Yankees signed certain pitchers or hitters sometimes where it's like the Yankees sign a guy who has like played against them who played well against them for a couple of years so they stop hitting homers for against them but then they're not very good for them it feels like Philly signed Al Horford because he guarded Joel Embiid well and because he could guard Giannis without realizing like wait a second how how is he actually going to fit with with our team for the first 90 games before we get to that spot right they've had a weird season mismatch of guys and playing styles no one really meshes well together it's really weird they're good defensively or at least they should be then they let tj warren have 50 on them (laughs) and it's like ben simmons is now playing the four shake milton's playing point guard but like is he he's a good shooter but is he like a creator it's just a weird team they're they're up and down you know as you said they lost indiana but they beat the wizards who aren't very good and they beat the spurs who are decent and I just haven't learned anything about them. They're exactly what I th- what I thought I was, which was really weird. That has, as you said, the potential to win around and beat the Celtics because Embiid is a top ten player in the NBA and can dominate, or they could get swept because none of the pieces fit together and they can't shoot. Like it's really like they're exactly what I thought, which is I still don't understand them. I don't know anything about them. They're just weird. That's fair. That's fair. I I, I do think that the level Embiid uh, is on is the level the Sixers are on and. Um, that's sort of most indicative of them to me. And, and that's sort of what you said. So a team that has surprised me poorly so far in the restart is the New Orleans Pelicans. I feel like everyone feels this way towards them that they've been really disappointing so far. It all starts with this whole restart plan. There's no reason why the NBA should have 22 teams, but look, it's a business. The Pelicans have Zion Williamson, who's one of the biggest draws and marketing uh, pieces they have as a league. Zion Williamson, that's the whole reason why they have this play-in thing for the 8th seed, too, is to try to match up LeBron versus Zion in the first round. And <laughs> and Zion, unfortunately, had to leave the bubble to tend to a family emergency. So he came back, and he didn't have all that practice time the rest of them did. So he was on a minutes restriction against Utah. Played pretty well when he was out there in very short bursts, and they lose to Utah by one in a game that they had to win. They had to win. They're fighting for their playoff lives, and they lose that game. Then they're blown out against the Clippers. I think they beat Memphis, but it's like New Orleans has been disappointing because it's like I thought they would have come out with a lot more 
urgency of kind of like a pitcher in uh, or a baseball team with with pitchers towards the postseason, which is like you got to give us everything you got. Like Zion, we know you may be a little out of shape, but you got to find a way to play twenty minutes, even if you're not yeah. really in shape for it. Like like that just has really disappointed me. I, I agree, and. In a game against the Jazz, which if I'm, if I'm not mistaken off the top of my head, they only lost by two. Yeah. Zion didn't make an appearance in the final no. whatever it was, three, four, five minutes. And, yeah. Uh, I have it here. He, he ended up playing 15 minutes in that game. He only played 14 against the Clippers, but that wasn't much of a game anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, in all seriousness, the Pelicans, if they play Zion in the last three minutes of, the game, of that game against Utah, and I know we're talking sliding doors here, but they very potentially win that game with Zion in. And then all of a sudden now you're talking about uh, a team that would be what 30 and 37 instead of 29 and 38, 30 and 37 puts you only one game back of the Blazers. Yeah. You know, and, and and that's more than enough to give you a, a shot at at least playing the Grizzlies who are my team in terms of disappointment. Mm hmm. And potentially sneak in and get into the actual playoffs. But the the thing about New Orleans too is that look, my favorite segment in sports media is the I'm not a doctor segment, but here's what I think. And so I'll do my <laughs> best uh you know, impersonation of that of I'm not a doctor, but I understand they're looking out for the long term uh health of their prized asset in and prized piece in Zion Williamson. But I don't know what's standing in the corner or in the dunk spot for that last possession. I'm not even talking about he should have been out there for crunch time those last three or four minutes, even though I kind of believe that. But, okay, you don't, you don't want him to do that. You're down two. You're running a final play. Have him in the dunk spot as just a decoy. Like, it lit, like I don't think it hurts his long-term health if he literally is just, like, standing there in athletic position, like, getting ready to, pretend, you know, just confusing the defense of, like, I may go and dunk this. Like, that's what frustrated me was that it was like he wasn't even on the court. Yeah, I get that. And you know what, though? I mean, so much of it, as the Pelicans go, I mean, the other thing Zion does just being on the court is he frees up Brandon Ingram. Yeah. I mean, I think you saw that in the game against the Grizzlies where Zion played 25 minutes and Ingram has 24, 7, and 5. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that your point is very valid, um, though I also think it's very hard to tell an NBA player, um, hey, be on the court, but don't really do anything that could potentially injure yourself. True. And and, and before we get to Memphis really quick, because I want to talk about them too, there was another poor uh, end-of-game situation that I saw from a guy we talked about as being a great coach, Eric Spolstra, where it was, I believe uh, – I have to quickly look at the game, but it was a game where they didn't shoot that well. And they, Duncan Robinson was like one for five or something. They just couldn't really get it going. It was their game against uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. They, they, they couldn't really get it going on, on offense. They weren't shooting that well. But Duncan Robinson has made the third most threes in the NBA this season. I don't care that he's 1 for 5 or 1 for 6 or 0 for 30 in that game. He has to be on the court in an end-of-game situation where you need a 3. Like, the fact that he was on the bench or even Tyler Harrow was on the bench, that, that I, I can understand that. But, like, Duncan Robinson needs to be on the court in those situations. He's one of the best shooters in the NBA. 
and I understand Jay Crowder shooting well and, Ke- and Kelly Olenek is shooting well, but like it just didn't make any sense. I thought it was a brain fart by Spolstra, and uh, I didn't understand it. Yeah, I agree. I think that's uh, a little weird. But so talking about Memphis quickly, they're a surprise bad for me, partly just because I feel bad for them because Jaron Jackson <laughs> got hurt. But just what are your thoughts on on Memphis? Yeah, I mean, I feel terrible about Jaron Jackson getting hurt. Um, obviously, I, I don't think that they're super deep or super talented. I think they have a couple interesting young pieces. But, you know, what really struck me yesterday in the game I had on against the Jazz, that they lost by, I believe, nine, was they sort of like piecemeal got all these guys to score like Valency Jonas Valanciunas had 21 and 14 yeah. Dylan Brooks had 23 Grayson Allen had 20 off the bench but what I was kind of hoping for and expecting was that Brandon Clark would step up and fill Jaron Jackson Jr.'s production and he didn't he finished with six points and five rebounds in uh, almost 28 minutes yeah even though I loved his game at Gonzaga and, I, and he's had a good season, you're right. I I kind of wish he took a leap with Jackson out in this bubble. But it's also, as you talked about, there are pieces going forward with John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Brandon Clark. They have some cool pieces and interesting pieces to play around with. And, hey, maybe missing the playoffs won't be – will actually work out better because they will get a better draft. It would have been great to get Jaron Jackson and John Morant, that type of experience going up against the Lakers in the first round in those high-pressure games because we saw what it did for that young Thunder team in 2010, 2011, going up against the Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol-led Lakers. It really helped them. It helped Durant, Russ, Harden really grow and develop as players. But also, you know, as I said before, about uh, Phoenix, there's some really good role players potentials in this draft class. If they add one of those type guys in the lottery, that could be a really interesting move for them going forward because Ja is a stud. Jaron Jackson Jr. is awesome. Brandon Clark has tons of potential and I think is a really interesting player going forward because he's not that big, but he could play like a small ball five kind of. And I don't know. I also like DeAnthony Melton. Yep. I I mean, I'm not sure he's ever an all star, but. Dylan Brooks, too. Yeah, you know, guys like that. And Brooks had a good game yesterday, but DeAnthony Melton only had five points in 17 minutes. And um, I was kind of hoping the young guys would, would, you know, make a leap. Now, maybe that's unfair to say, as it was the first game without Jaron Jackson. And maybe they, you know, absolutely kill it in their next game. But. I don't know. It just didn't click for me. And and they also have a good. I want to call him a young coach per se, but the, but I think they have a young a, a good new coach in Taylor Jenkins. In that Memphis has outperformed expectations this year, even though they're below five hundred. Parts actually they just lost four games in a row. So when they're thirty two and thirty seven, they came into the bubble at thirty two and thirty three. You know they've outperformed expectations. The fact that Memphis is in the playoff hunt is partially due to the fact that. John Morant is a stud. Jaron Jackson improved a lot, but it's also due to the fact that you know their coach knew what he was doing this year, which is a which is a big deal because we see a lot of teams in the NBA where, when I say coaches are 
are doing good, it's a lot of times that that coach is the right fit for that group or that team. Not saying that there are like bad coaches per se in the NBA, but it feels more like it was like a lot of teams just don't have the right fit with their coaches and and their head coaches. It feels like Taylor Jenkins is a good fit for this group in Memphis right now. So I'm excited to see what they do going forward. And for the record, I do think that um, he counts as young. Okay. Doesn't turn 36 until, uh, I think, like October. Okay. Yeah. Very. Okay. I I take it back. Very young. That's me as a 22-year-old talking. Uh, (laughs) Me as a 30-year-old is is hoping 35 (laughs) is not old. Yeah. It's not. Uh, Before we get to – as we wrap up here, Coach, in closing – has anything you've seen from this from the first half of the of the restart games changing your prediction for who will be you know the whole reason why we do this is to crown a champion is is it changing at all who you think will will be the ones hosting the Larry O'Brien trophy at at the end of this no again i'm a touch more worried about the lakers than you are but Ultimately, you know what I, I'm, I'm going to say? It, it's hard to bet against the Bucks, Clippers, mm-hmm. or Lakers. Yeah. Um, more specifically, probably one of the L.A. teams. But having said that, what I have seen in the bubble has indicated to me that if, if, if you were going to bet on this and you had the chance to take the field versus those three teams, I'd feel, feel a lot more comfortable taking the field now than I would have before the restart. I don't know if that avoided your question or answered it. No, 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 no. Yeah, that that's that's very good. You're, you're thinking the field has has a better chance. I want to talk about the Clippers really quick because you're more down on the Lakers. I'm a little more down on the Clippers than I was before this whole thing started, just because they haven't really played at full strength together the whole season. Where because of Paul George's injury to start the season with his shoulder injury. Then you have Kawhi Leonard's load management. Then you have, with the bubble, they had a bunch of guys who unfortunately had to leave due to family emergencies. With yes. Montrez Harrell, Pat Beverly had, had to leave. Yeah, they're, they're back now. Lou Williams obviously infamously left and went to Magic <laughs> City for apparently insanely delicious chicken wings. And but So even though they're all back in the bubble they haven't played at full strength in a really long time and really like this whole season and it concerns me just out of the it takes time to build that chemistry together on the court we've seen it with awesome awesome great teams you know LeBron's Miami team didn't win their first year it takes time to build and have these super teams gain chemistry and and you know you may say David, you're being ridiculous. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George are too good of a duo. They're they're too good of players for, for this to matter. But I think it does matter that that the fact that their top eight guys haven't, I think, been healthy yet altogether and active for a game because we know what their potential is, is that they should win the NBA championship. That's how good they are. But I don't know. I think there'll be growing pains as their top guys figure out how to play together and they figure out what their rotations are. Yeah, I think that's valid. Um, For whatever reason, personally, I think that I take comfort in the fact that Joe Kim Noah is not actually going to be playing minutes. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> when guys like Montres Harrell come back. Whereas with the Lakers, I actually think they're going to keep guys like Deion Waiters in the rotation. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of more what scares me, the fringe guys. Yeah. Um, Joe Keem's though Joe Keem, like I got a rep for my poly prep guy. He 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 was back that the first night to making some peak Joe Keem Noah plays, catch him off the top, one dribble, kick out threes. Like he, he he's getting there. Uh I think Milwaukee is is gonna win the title. Uh partially just of uh, the personal connection. You know, obviously Jordan Sears works for them, so we're pulling for him to be an NBA Absolutely. champion. I also think, you know, they have the best player in the Eastern Conference and no sport like no sport uh does it matter as much as having the best player than basketball, than professional basketball, especially in the seven-game series? They'll have the best player in that, in the whole Eastern Conference with Giannis. Eric Bledsoe and Pat Connaughton haven't been playing because they both were diagnosed with the coronavirus, so they're working back. Uh, so when they're back, it adds a little more creativity, especially with Bledsoe. Uh, downhill, Connaughton can create. He's a decent defender, and he can shoot off the dri- oh off the catch for, for threes. And I think, as, as we talked about, they have the easiest path to, to the second round. Let Boston or Toronto or Miami get beat up by Indiana or Philly. Kind of let them beat up each other. Then, then in the second round, you know, if it's Toronto versus Boston, let them beat each other up first a seven-game grueling series and and see matchup in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, so that's why I like uh, Milwaukee uh, to win the championship. I like it. It, it. It's hard to argue against it. I mean, I think the biggest thing to me is that ultimately the two L.A. teams in Milwaukee each have a guy that has a very valid argument to say they're the best player on the planet on yeah. any, given night, any given night. And that, to me, is probably what's going to determine who wins the title. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And it'll definitely be interesting to see especially with the with the no home court, what that really means in the playoffs if the way that we think of game one always goes to the home team and game right, right, three right, right. always goes to the road team or the game three always goes to the lower seed who's down 2-0. Like, we'll see how all that plays out in this new format that we're all uh, really excited to see going forward. So we're recording this on Thursday, August 6th. There's tons of great NBA games today. So Obviously, everything we talked about in this podcast comes with the caveat of, you know, some player could, you know, knock on wood, get hurt tonight and it completely changes everything. Or some player plays so well, everything changes for a positive way because uh, there's great games on today. So, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me today, especially I know you got some fun, as, as much fun summer plans as someone could have during a pandemic. But, uh, yeah. Really appreciate this, and just uh, hopefully we'll be able to to do this again. Uh, maybe when uh, we get some real playoff basketball, that'd be great. And I have to say, man, it's so great having basketball back. Literally, the biggest downer has been that my girl Sabrina Ionescu of yep. New York Liberty is out with an injury. And as much as the NBA is fun, I was looking forward to see Sabrina play as well. So um, that's a little bit of a bummer. But having said that. Um, you know, if that's as bad as it gets, I think we'll be okay. We got we got some really good basketball, and I'm excited to see how this whole thing ends up. Yeah, for sure. And quick shout out to the to the WNBA who are also doing their thing at the IMG Bubble. 
uh, also leading the way with a lot of the social justice movement and taking a stand for things that they want to change and things that are right. And as you said about Sabrina, New York Liberty, she'd be playing at the Barclays Center if we ever figure out a way out of this pandemic. She was killing it. And she was a dominant player in college, but she's going out there and dominating the best uh, professional women's basketball players in the world. That's incredibly impressive. We're wishing her a very speedy recovery so that she can dominate in New York City where it's the mecca of basketball. Yeah, I'm excited. I think she can do some really cool stuff. And uh, I don't know. I enjoyed watching her at Oregon. So um, hopefully when we're able to you know, have normal uh life again mm-hmm. i would like to see her in the uh in the barclays center 100 percent. so coach i appreciate all the time uh and enjoy the weekend you too my man thanks for having me on and uh keep enjoying the game for sure that'll do it for this episode of the double double if you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, and you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We will be back next week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.